It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 629 of Accelerate. That's episode 629 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. And since it's Friday, it's time for another episode of Frontline Friday with my very special co-host, Bridget Gleason. In today's episode, Bridget and I are joined by a guest, Ken Lundeen. Ken is the organizer and the host for the upcoming B2B Sales Summit, which, full disclosure, I'm honored to be a guest and one of the featured experts on the Sales Summit. And in this episode, Ken joins Bridget and me to talk about whether there are universal truths in sales. I mean, are there, or let's say, should there be, a common set of core values that all sellers should adhere to and have? We're also going to dive into how sellers should be trained on those values and how managers need to assume the responsibility for creating sales cultures that enable and support those values. It's one thing to say you're customer-focused. It's another thing to be consistently customer-focused. Really good conversation coming up. Make sure you stick around for this. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 629. If you're a top performer in your current sales role and you're looking for a fresh sales challenge to take your career to the next level, then check out CenturyLink. With its recent acquisition of Level 3, the new CenturyLink is a world leader in providing cloud, security, real-time communications, hybrid IT, and managed services. So if you want the excitement, challenge, and rewards that come from selling industry-leading services to the enterprise, then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate. That's CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate and join their talent community. Once you join the talent community, a member of their team will reach out soon to connect and see if a career at CenturyLink is the right step for you. All right, let's start up Frontline Friday. Bridget, Bridget, Bridget. Andy, Andy, Andy. That always reminds me of that uh, insurance commercial with the camera. Or the camel, the camel, excuse me. Okay, camera, camel. Camel, you know, Mike, 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 Mike. Guess what day it is, Mike? It's hump day. Hey, well, I don't, yeah, okay, I don't know this. It was so. a funny commercial. You had to, had to have been there. Right. I know, I got to watch more TV, right? No, no, by all means, don't. Remember our conversation we had last week? Because invest in your own development. Don't watch TV. Well, uh, some people may, maybe there's stuff on TV that you can get for pre- professional development. I'm just not a big TV watcher, but okay. you know, I've been a dork since I was born, so why change now? <laughs> you don't strike me as a dork. <laughs> That's good. I, I, I work hard to cover that up. Did you not hang with the cool kids in school? I did. I did okay. hang with the cool kids, but right. I so we I've been undercover. I've, here. I've been undercover for quite some time. Okay, so closet dork. Well, luckily, I went to a high school that All had girls? no, but it was a very high achieving high school. Also, so um, you know, being smart was okay. In fact, that was a good thing. Oh, okay. So I could still be a dork and occasionally hang with the cool kids. Very anyway. cool. Very cool. Yeah, I sort of was in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's good yeah. to be. Yeah, my friends were. Well, I actually, you know, one of my good friends in middle school who was <laughs> at the time was considered one of the big dorks is actually a congressman, a multi term congressman from Illinois who's very smart, successful PhD, and then got into Congress. You know, started his own business, made tons of money, and then ran for Congress. So, yeah, Revenge of the Nerds, it. right? Reven- I love that. That's yeah. a great movie, Spicoli. So, um, actually, that was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But 
Okay. Oh, that's right. That was. That's what. That's right. See, so you know your movies. You. Yeah. Yeah. See, I watch TV. Okay. I read a lot that of books, a, too. That was a movie. So we have a guest today. Yay. And Not that I'm tired of you, but that's good. <laughs> Mix it up a bit. You can't even say you're tired of my face because you don't even look at me while we're doing this. So I know. I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. You probably have a photo of me hanging over your desk with darts, right. with darts oh, in yeah. them. So <laughs> push yeah, pins, no. as my, my brother used to do the pictures. That's great. So our guest today, Ken London. And what? Ken, how are you doing? Hey, I'm fantastic. Sorry, I jumped jumped in just to oh, say sure. hello. I, there's You've left so much material open. I don't even know if we need to talk about sales. <laughs> I know, I know. We typically do that. It gives us wide berth in case we don't feel like talking about sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, feel free to jump whenever I act like it's your show. That's fine. So, um, Ken is here. We're going to talk about a number of things, but but I met Ken recently. He's he's organizing a hosting an online event, an online B2B sales summit. And nice. Yeah, we've got a B2B sales audience, and he's got a lot of uh, interesting people, fascinating people lined up to be part of that summit and give uh, share information, including yours, yours truly. Um, so I thought, hey, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So Ken, Ken, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh well, that's the uh, that's the easy opening. But I, I think I'll start with if you're the self-proclaimed in the middle between the dorks and the cool kids, that just means that you you weren't the one passing judgment on yourself. I mean, that's it. Really, just means you were in a void. So we'll, that'll be another you know therapy <laughs> session that I think. Yeah, we, can we do. definitely we can use therapy. Welcome we're to have, welcome to the that's void. Been clear. That's been clear. <laughs> I think that's. Well, I think that's why I hung out in the basement so much when I was a kid. My my actually my siblings used to give me a hard time about that because I. Yeah, they used to call me Dracula because I'd be down in the basement so often by myself in the dark <laughs> watching oh TV. <laughs> oh dear, definitely but, therapy's needed. Therapy's yeah, needed. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like we should, we could have another uh, podcast out of that. I'm not sure what we would name. Maybe we'd name it the Void, but um, sounds like that's a much longer conversation. So. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, uh, so I, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you having me. Come on, we you know you and I did the interview for the B two B Sales Summit. Oh, probably a week in the last week or so. Yes. But you know, the, the, the quick and skinny on me is just, uh, you know, 20, 25 years of sales and running sales and uh, selling stuff. And uh, over the course of the last year, doing some sales consulting and just started to realize there was a pretty big void in the markets. So that's where the B2B Sales Summit came from. But uh, well, just love talking the void? about sales. Now, we talked oh about void before in, in our personal lives, but, <laughs> yeah. but but what's what's the void you saw in the B2B sales market? Because I mean, quite honestly, I, I, I'm like, there's no shortage of online summits, right? I mean, it seems like there's yeah. you can hardly turn around with one another one being happening. So, so what do you see and what are you trying to do differently with yours? Hmm, that's a great question. So a couple things. Um, in regards to, I think the first is, is, is there something in the market that needs to be served? And I do think even with the plethora of you know, sales summits and such that are out there, we'll talk about that, that there is still a significant gap in the knowledge, education, training, everybody from sales to sales management needs. And I think probably to say the number one thing that's different about this summit versus anything else that anyone's seen um, is it's all practitioners and people doing the work. And what I mean by that That's is we don't, have, we don't have technology companies trying to sell you technology stuff um, while they're acting like they're teaching you about sales. This is just 
I mean, it's a who's who of legends and up and comers and just the people who have been knocking down, you know, millions and in some cases, billions of dollars in sales with their clients for years. Okay. That's fantastic. I'm, That's a, great. Leg- I'm a legend now because I'm in there. <laughs> well, you are. You I know. was trying to, been trying to attain that status. So well, I've, I think I've escaped you're... from the void. And I'm now a legend. That's pretty good in mm-hmm. one half hour. Well, we'll have to get you, you know, once you, you've got to crack the top five. I mean, being the number eight guy on LinkedIn's uh, social selling, you know, experts, we've we got to get you up to the top five and then I'll be willing to pull the void frame out, of, you know, that kind of wording out of it. Okay. Yeah. Eight out of 50, top 50 sales experts. Yeah. That's <laughs> not that I'm patting myself on the back. So, um, all right. So, so you got practitioners, that's more your sort of your focus as opposed to yeah technology companies you know trying to sell us through a quasi webinar or something so but it sort of <laughs> raises an interesting question or at least interesting for me when i go through the the lineup your lineup and you know i do this in other sales summits and other similar type events do we have too many sales experts out there i mean um, do we have a surplus of, of sales experts well, let's put it this way. There's, let's, I don't know that I'd say there's a surplus of sales experts as much as I might say there's a surplus of sales opinions. Ah, that is really, really well put. There's two, there's three strong opinions right here. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's why we do this show. So when you say there's a, a surplus of sales opinions, so I mean, one interpretation of that, at least in my mind, off the top of my head, is is that is that we should be able to agree that there are some universal truths in sales. And, so, so well put. And yet, it seems like we're not able to agree to what those universal truths are. Mm, yes, that's, it's an interesting way to look at it. I, I agree with that. So I'll, my, my, the quick story as far as I frame what I saw, you know, this is different. The other way this is different is I'm interviewing everybody on this. You and I, Andy, did a, did a, I don't know, about a 45 or 50 minute interview and we got into some real tactical stuff. But I can tell you, as I put this lineup together, this was one guy with an idea, right? This, I don't have a tech company backing me. I don't have anyone else backing me. I'm taking the money out of my right pocket and kind of pushing it out wherever it needs to go to do this. And I, I think when you start to talk about I just had a, just my brain just lost where I was going with my subject matter. That's a great interview for a podcast. <laughs> what in the world were we talking about? This is, oh. This too is, many experts in sales. Too yeah, many opinions. Too many, yeah, yeah, too many opinions. So you said are there universal truths. So my point was, I didn't know what to expect, really, because I went into it the same way. I said, man, here's all these people. You know, we've got, I don't know, over 4 million social followers who follow the people that are in this summit. Um, that follow them all, their social media, LinkedIn, like a huge email list, all the silliness. I got a lot of people who like them. But I was like, man, am I going to get all these people on here? And there is, the, everybody's going to have a different opinion. I mean, there was a little bit of fear in doing that. And mm-hmm. what it came out of this thing was that's not actually the case. It was awesome to get back to the idea that although each, each expert, each influencer, each you know, guru, whatever you want to call the people who are in this summit that were talking to me, we were able to get to some universal truths. There are, there are definitely um, keys to success, and success definitely leaves clues as to what we can focus on. And I know, you know I, I read some of the stuff that you've done regarding your lessons after doing all the podcasts you've done. And I couldn't agree more that there are absolutely some universal truths. And all those sales opinions that are out there, 
are probably actually hurting salespeople, sales managers, and companies because they it's it's like if somebody says something just slightly different and it kind of jives with what I feel as a person, then I pivot. And now I'm pivoting every 14 seconds instead mm-hmm. of actually having something systematized that I can go to market with. Well, I mean, it, uh, yeah, and, and I'm just sort of thinking about that is that I think one of the things that that we're sort of running into this a little bit is that certainly in certain areas of sales, and I think inside sales is, is one we see that where it's much more process driven, uh, much more systematized. And this is an issue Bridget and I have talked about and not necessarily agreed about in the past is that also to some degree, um, you know, really focused on conformity, you know, sort of taking some of the individuality out of selling. And, and I think when you take the individuality out, you then don't maximize or optimize the strengths of the individual and, you know, let them play to the, develop a style that plays to their strengths. And so when you're talking about opinions and people shifting and something that resonates with them, the question I sort of come back to is, and I think, to me, on one hand, I think that's okay. But what happens is people tend to shift to opinions that reinforce their comfort zones as opposed to shift to following opinions that force them to think differently and do something that's outside their comfort zone. Mm. Yeah, I would, I, I, so let me give, maybe I'll give you an example that I think is relevant to this conversation. I was coaching a rep two days ago. And they did this great thing. It's an inside sales rep and they've got, you know, um, they can record the calls. So we're listening to the calls. But when you listen to the calls, you pull them up on your screen and I'm here in Atlanta and he was in Louisiana and I pull it up and he's already had four other people comment on this call. And he, and and then he was going to talk to me about it and then have another discussion with somebody else afterwards. And so I think that comes back to, we discussed right in that moment. We said, look, but what's your methodology? What's important? What are, what are we all reinforcing that's the same? Because it sounds to me like you're just confused. And so I think it's really important to come back to what you said, which is process methodology. There's got to be some framework for consistency because we have to have that kind of methodology. We can put stuff in but then we can make it different. You know, it's like making a dish. You know, my mom makes spaghetti and my wife makes spaghetti. They both make it completely different, but I know I'm having spaghetti and they can kind of figure out what works for them as they put the recipe together. Well, which one works for you as far as a consumer? And there you go. And then which I, that's, that's the idea, right? We as the, we as the salesperson have to figure out what actually resonates with the prospect within that framework. Yeah, I, I, right. So I, one of the things that, that I keep coming back to is that, and sort of this idea of universal truths in sales is, you know, is there a core set of values, right? Personal values, or personal values that sort of, you know, we build our behaviors and habits and skills on top of that salespeople need to have. And, and if so, I almost never hear it talked about. We always start... I envision this pyramid and, you know, there's layers in the pyramid and the bottom layer, you know, is your values and you build your, your habits and your behaviors and habits and skills on top of that. And then once you've got those, then you've got your methods and your process. And we always sort of start at the top of the pyramid. Let's train people on methods and process, but it seems like we don't give any real attention to 
I mean, very rarely, and I've recently read a book that talked about values or opened my eyes, is talk about values and how values inform behaviors and how you know behaviors become habits before we even get to methods and, and process. Well, talk to me more about what you view as, and just to make sure that we're on the same page, talk to me more about what you view as those types of values or the book that you read. The, what does that look like? Give me an example of the types of values that we can frame all this other stuff on top of. Well, I think that things like... Um, yeah, how do you how do you value a relationship? You know, what's you know, do you respect the relationship that you have with the buyer? You know, what's your, what's your perspective? Are you me centered or are the other centric? That, that's that's a, a human value yeah. that you start with. Um, you know, it could be you know, are you you know, are you have the ability to be you know empathetic in the way you listen to people? And can you do you have your values really? You know, can you listen? Somebody said this recently, which I thought was a great way of saying it. Is, you know, can you listen like the buyer? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, that's you know, obviously another way of sort of describing empathy is yeah, you know, that's a, a human value. And there All are right. people that measure this, but and yeah, we say yeah, we screen for it when we hire people and so on. But you know, we know we're not perfect with how we screen people, and and so <laughs> given that we then hire somebody is and we're making investments, you know, we need to be able to expose people to this and train people and give people, um, you know, guidance on this. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think, and I appreciate you expanding on that because one of the things that I talk about, and I firmly believe, you know, from a values perspective, and I think it's one of the reasons we've had some success working with non-sellers, teaching them how to go out and get business, is the idea that sales is an act of service. And so what you're talking about from a value-based perspective or a belief system perspective, because of that, that frames every other conversation that I'm able to have or that somebody who has that particular mindset or that, that actual value system is able to have. And I think what you're, what you're speaking to is the idea that somehow we've lost the intent behind sales. You know, and, and what I mean by that is that other centered is that we're just supposed to be connected. We're connecting solutions with things we can solve. And somehow we've done a poor job as sales managers, coaches, et cetera. And we won't talk about all the stats on coaching and stuff, because as you and I have spoken about previously, they're pre, you know, they're, they're self-reported. So who knows how accurate they really are. Um, but I think we've lost that ability or we don't coach to the ability of, that we're actually solving problems. And since pipeline is such a huge concern because there's not enough deals in you know, most salespeople's pipelines because pipeline is such a problem, we're trying to hold on to deals and force that square peg into that round hole. Um, but yeah, I, I really like what you're saying because somebody else who illustrated something really great on that to me was Colleen Stanley. I interviewed her and we were going on this emotional intelligence for sales. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Most of the time, when I hear about emotional intelligence, it makes you emotional, I think, right? <laughs> yes, I start to cry because I'm unemotional. So the, the, uh, most of the time, when I hear about uh, emotional intelligence, though, I think you hear about it from a: Are you just empathetic with the customer? And one of the things that Colleen frames very, very well is: No, no, no. It's about being emotionally mature, and she doesn't use the word mature, but it's about how you manage your own emotions right. in order to best serve your customer. So yeah, from a from a values perspective, I think that probably aligns with what you're talking about um, as well. So Bridget, what do you think? I 
I mean, I agree with what you're saying around kind of the values and having to get get down to the core of the values and teach the values. But I would also say that a lot of sales teams don't, they may pay lip service to having these values of empathy and being customer centered. And the comp- the sales team and the company culture may be one of get everything you can, mm-hmm. or it's all about me. So <laughs> I-, I see a lot of that. Like we interviewed someone recently and the feedback from some of the people on the team was, I just don't know that this person is going to match our values, which are very customer centric mm-hmm. and that this person seemed much more in it for me right? and had been very successful with that approach. So I think it's, um, you know, you got to make sure the values align. It's, it's going to be really hard to, uh, teach a team to be empathetic and customer first if that doesn't align with how the company actually operates. It's not even what they say. It's actually how they actually operate. Yeah, and, I, mm-hmm. and you know, there's... Um, I was reading... I don't know if you've read Eli or Eli Cohen's book, Saleshood. Um, mm-hmm. Have you read that one? Mm-hmm. And I haven't read it either. It's It's really an excellent book. And... Yeah, he puts forth the the premise that that actually culture to some degree. I mean, values is is done at a corporate level, but you can almost say, yeah, having those values in place that the sort of culture and reinforcing the values happens at you know at the local level. At the, you know, with frontline sales manager, really becomes the custodian of making that happen and implementing it in the team and. And I think that this is, you know, is real. I think it's really true. And I think again, it's another thing that we, as an industry, we don't spend enough time doing is, is we say, yeah, it'd be great if our salespeople were inspired to learn on their own and so on, without spending enough time saying, yeah, are the people with the primary role models, the primary influences on the on the sales team, i.e., the frontline manager, have they bought into this idea? And I think that's really where, another gap we're really missing is is. Um, and just being clear when I was reading Cohen's book is, is like, oh yeah, that's, that's where we're missing it is, you know, we have our attention on the salespeople really, maybe we're spending a lot more of our time with frontline managers. Yeah. I think though that the frontline managers can, uh, they can go a long way, but if, if their values are not consistent with, uh, the CEO, what's above them? I think it's still it's it's oh, going to yeah. be tough. No, I agree. But I think it's is from an implementation standpoint, we just assume that you know, yeah, we've got corporate values or and you know it's going to flow down to the salesperson. You know, we think it's That's all true. continuous. Well, no, it's we got that really important person right there, that that key influencer on all those individual contributors, the manager. So if the manager's bought in, are we giving them the tools and the knowledge to yeah. lead their team to? you know, embody those values when they go out and sell. Yeah. And I think we know that the answer is generally no. <laughs> you know, if you right, so wanna, how, do, how do we change that? You know, how do we change it? Yeah. If you want to cut to the chase, I mean, uh, it's a, it's an interesting quandary. You know, I think we've got this kind of Peter principle that rolls up, right? You are a great sales producer and, and then we're going to promote you to your level of incompetence and not give you the tools or the insights that you right. need to go about managing others. 
Um, and I think what's, you know, the biggest mistake that I've seen, and maybe this is something where if you're a VP or you're a manager and you're listening to this, I mean, in Ken Lundin's opinion, which if this is, you know, it's free advice, so it may not be worth anything, but I'd write this piece down and I'd think about this because when it comes down to what's happening, the biggest mistake that I see with somebody freshly promoted a manager or VP is that they don't believe that their job actually has anything to do with producing sales anymore. And they go into this, like, let's go look at reports and pull data. And they, they don't realize that coaching and being on deals and, and actually being a mentor and a role, role model in the actual sales process with their people and getting shoulder to shoulder and belly to belly with them and their prospects, they lose that. And somehow that, that's not translated in the promotion to some sort of management level. You know, and, and I think, I don't know, I'm interested in your guys' opinions. I mean, what do you think about the idea that when I promote you a sales manager or a VP role, you have to very clearly understand that you have to do be actively involved in order to get production through people who aren't you. And so you have to go get it. You have to be involved. You have to stay there. You have to go do deals with them. And you have to get shoulder to shoulder because they need a role model and a mentor. And they don't need you sitting in your office pulling Excel spreadsheets or Salesforce data and just pushing it out to people. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think that that is the sort of gets back to the point I was making before is, you know, this is a, a matter of educating sales managers about what they should be doing, what they can be doing to to develop the people that work for them. Because if they can de- successfully develop people that work for them and inspire them accordingly, then you know that makes their job makes them successful as well, right? So it's yeah, we have, we books have been written about this. You know, cracking the sales management code. Other Jason Jordan, others. You know, talking about. You know, we just don't invest sufficiently in our frontline sales managers, and and I, I think that you know part of that comes from the fact is once people get promoted, there's this assumption that they know what they're doing. Yeah, and who does? No one does when they first get promoted into things. I mean, it's, it's experiential. I mean, sales more than almost any other profession, even at the frontline manager line, is still still an apprenticeship. Well, we disrespect ourselves, right? You're an accountant, you're a lawyer, you're you're in finance, whatever it is, you've got all the, you know, you have to continue to get continuing education and these other things. And we think that the only test for us is, are we actually producing? And then we'll roll you up into management if you're a great producer, but who knows if you can manage. If you're not producing, but we happen to like you, we may roll you up into management, but then you don't have any street cred with your people. So if I were to ask this question, so Bridget, I'm interested in your, um, your perspective on this. If I were to say to you, I don't think we'll solve the idea of companies actually investing in sales training for management, which is clearly the best ROI you can get, but I think we're all a little biased. If I were to say, we aren't going to solve that companies will change their uh, tactics and invest in sales managers today, what would you think as an individual sales manager who goes, you know what, I got to be better, what would you give them as advice to how they can get better you know, over the next 30, 60, 90 days, you know, this next calendar year. And are you talking about how to get better just in general or specifically uh, around coaching and enabling? Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, that's a great, uh, I apologize. So let me back up. So if I think about it, if I'm a sales manager and I just need to become more effective, 
whether it's coaching something else, you know, what as a sales manager myself, what advice would you give to me that I can lean into that will make me more effective at what I do? What things should I be paying attention to? And I know it's kind of a general open-ended question, but I just think sales managers aren't getting that advice from qualified, fantastic people like you. And so I'm interested in your opinion. Well, I think about what I've done with new managers that let's say it's been, I'm just thinking back at recent experience or experience in my past new managers, and maybe we didn't have um, anything formal in place to train them. So one, I would typically operate as a mentor. So I would encourage him or her to find a mentor. And if you ask someone to mentor you, you better be serious about it. You know, you don't want to waste that person's time. I get, I get a lot of requests and people are kind of serious. They kind of do it. And that doesn't work for me. If you want to, so they have to be very serious about wanting to learn. Um, I've encouraged them to uh, join groups, particularly with other like-minded, other, other sales managers where they can learn to have a group that they're involved in. Um, we look for, there aren't a lot of good resources, but I've sent people to, to classes for managers and training. Again, if we don't have something internally, um, yes. Yeah, so there's just sort of a variety. It depends on how they learn and where their gaps are. I may, I would suggest different things for them to do, but it's typically the case that managers come on. I mean, I'm the same way, no matter what role I take, there are gaps. And at Logs.io, I have a great sales mentor that the company we found through the board and somebody who's, you know, done more than I have to help me to keep growing. So those are some of the things that I think about. Hmm. That's, that's wonderful. You know, I interviewed Tom Hopkins for the, the B2B sales summit and, you know, Tom's, as far as I'm concerned, a legend, he's probably responsible for a lot of the income I've made over my career. You know, and I said, what advice would you give to somebody who's young and coming up in sales, say less than five years? And the number one thing he said was to find a mentor as well. So I think what you're, you're doing is tying it together. You know, it's, continue to look for somebody who can help hold you accountable. And what you said was great because it's like we ha- we have to expect that we have something of value to add to our prospects. Well, we need to treat our internal folks the same way. And if you ask for a mentor, you better be ready to go to work. Yeah, you definitely don't waste their time. Don't waste their time. Yeah. And I think that the, when you bring up that, that conversation, which actually leads down a whole nother trail in terms of, you know, what's the difference between managing coaching and mentoring and i think i think there's a terminology you know clarification that 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 we should make because you have sat in a room last month with uh, 20 cro's and there's sort of confusion right people talk about coaching from a very tactical standpoint hey this is what we're going to do in this deal where other people are talking about coaching is how do we develop this individual and yeah, I'd make the the case just so we keep our terminology straight. That you know, men- mentoring is how we develop the individual. Coaching is how we do the tactical stuff, and managing is yeah, you know, managing the team. Because um, I really think there are three different distinct responsibilities. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, one of the things we've talked about in the past is I really firmly believe words matter. 
And I think a lot of times we spend time saying words and thinking that all the people who are listening to us understand what we're, what we mean, or we hear somebody say something and we don't seek to clarify it. You know, like in technology, we may use the word resources. Was well, that time, money, or people? And in different places and different ways, I've I've heard it mean different yeah. things. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. The, I love what you're saying. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we we're running out of time. So, um, Ken, and I apologize for mispronouncing your name up front, Ken Lundin. So, tell people what they can, you know, something about the learning more about the B two B sales summit. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Perfect. Well, I think you know you opened it fine, and and thank you for letting us just kind of wander around, and have a great talk about sales and sales management. Um, I think what you're going to find is, as we talked about earlier, success leaves clues. Uh, the B2B sales summit with these just fantastic people are out there getting it done with the biggest companies and smallest companies in the world. It's everything from building your pipeline, negotiation, closing, accelerating deals. You know, it's all that good stuff. So um, if people want to find out more about the B2B sales summit, which I can tell you, it's just a bunch of just badass interviews. It's fantastic people like Andy and Tom Hopkins and, you know, Keenan and Trish Bertuzzi and a whole bunch of these cool people. So you can go to the T-H-E-B-2-B, and it's B, the number two, B, salessummit.com. You can get on there. Um, it's a free registration, and then there's ways that you can actually have access to the videos forever if you'd like. Um, but I can tell you right now, I've already done the interviews, and I've been there, and it's just awesome stuff. And all the interviews are somewhere between probably 35 and 50 minutes. So it's quick hits, and I promise you that you'll leave each one of those interviews with something that's actionable that you can go to work and impact your sales pipeline or that of your team the very, very next day. All right. Well, cool. All right. People, check that out. Uh, Ken, thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again, maybe after the sales summit, see how that went. Uh, Bridget, Captain Fantastic, as, as always. always. As <laughs> always. And friends, as always, with you as well. Thank you. Thank you for spending this time with us. And we'll look forward to talking with you again next week. Sounds great. Have a good one. See y'all. Thank you so much.